The Walk the Mile podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which Skeg Starlinghurst stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. May our reconciliation be an ongoing process of love and compassion. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Lee Lindsay, school chaplain at Skeggs Darlinghurst, and you're listening to Walk the Mile, a podcast that opens up conversations that we need to have. Hello everyone, it's good to have you with us today. We have another old girl, another old girl. All the old girls that I've been interviewing are the ones that I've taught, so it's very special for me to have a little bit of time in conversation with some of these, they're not girls anymore, (laughs) these amazing young women. Today I have Abby Rose Schmidt from the year of, what year did you finish, Abby? 2012. 2012. And what was it like walking back into school today? (laughs) Um, Well, I was actually here for my 10-year reunion last year last year that's right yeah Yeah. so it just felt very familiar comfortable very comfortable walking through the green gates which felt like exactly like it was 10 years ago familiar faces yeah (laughs) and you come from a a line of skeggs girls yes i do so what where where is that where did it begin as far back as my grandma right who's now 86 right and she came to this campus skeggs yeah this campus wow and your mum? Did mom your mum as well? Mum came here, that's right. And then me. Yeah. <laughs> and then and my you? two sisters. And your two sisters. So yeah. five of you. Yes. Is that like a tradition that you're that you personally are sort of proud of? You know, do you hope that one day your daughters might come here? I'm definitely proud, yeah. I feel that Skeggs, you know, equipped me for uh, what life would be like outside of school. Mm-hmm. It, it taught me how to be uh, generous, kind, and giving to others. Um, yeah, I would hope one day <laughs> that future generations could come here. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I think it has a great culture. Yeah. yeah. And did your grandma and your mum, did they, before you came here, did you, were you able to pick up on that culture? Did they talk about it or did, was there something about it that you noticed? Yeah, my mum would talk about Skeggs fondly. She said that the camaraderie was really strong. Mm-hmm. She loved um, the teachers uh, and just the co-curricular as well. Um, right. like, talked about Barton a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you got a long succession yeah, yeah, yeah. of Barton. Barton being one of our houses. Yeah, and Mum always talked about geography. Her loved her geography teacher. Right. Top geography, I think. In right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so it, it sort of set you up. Your when you came to school, you you felt like you. You sort of knew, yeah. knew it, knew what it was going to be like in a way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. And what about your path out after school? What What have you done since you finished school? So, when I finished school, I was wasn't sure what I wanted to do, truthfully. So I decided to take a gap year, mm-hmm. and I loved during school. I loved Duke of Edinburgh, right? And I loved hiking. I loved the outdoors, and I had a passion for uh, hiking and. I thought it would be great to travel to like a third world country because mm-hmm. uh, 
at school I had been to Africa mm. and um, yeah I wanted to go to Nepal because I was fascinated by the Himalayas and I thought it'd be an awesome experience yeah, to right. uh, not only immerse myself within the culture uh, but also yeah experience hiking and challenging myself yeah right. so that's what I did first stayed there for three months and yep. I lived with a a host family. Wow. I didn't speak any English, so I was wow. fully immersed. Yeah. Uh, I was living in the outskirts of Kathmandu, so about an hour's bus ride from Kathmandu. Right. Up in the hills. Uh, so there was no internet, like no reception, nothing. Wow. Uh, and I was living with... So I had one other Australian girl who was living with me. Right. And we would walk an hour to the school we were teaching at. Oh, okay, so you were helping at the every school. Day. Yeah, yeah, just one of the local schools. Wow. Just teaching English, following their curriculum. Was that scary, going into that situation? Like, when you arrived there, did you think, what am I doing? I, I didn't. I feel like I was really just young, free, not afraid of anything. Great. Yeah. Up for an adventure. Up for an adventure. I think going to Africa really prepared me for that. Yeah, right. Uh, and having that experience at school, I was lucky. Yeah. To have that experience and yeah. so it made me excited to go and visit you know other gave you a taste other, yeah countries yeah. and countries especially with really different cultures different ways of living yeah um and sort of just like humbling myself as well and realizing how lucky i am yeah, right, to be in right. such a safe country yeah. yeah so for those who don't know in probably about 2007 i think it was we started up a partnership in Uganda uh, with a, a guy that I knew there who had some land and wanted to build a school. <laughs> and we pretty much helped build a school there mm. in um, just outside of Kampala, uh, which was called Chikundwa. Yeah, High School. And Chirugaluga. And Chirugaluga. Yes. You've got a great memory. Chirugaluga yeah. was the primary school. Yes, that's right. So we were able to build two schools. We were able mm. to have almost... 400 kids being sponsored. Was it a library that we helped? We built a library, build, we yes. built a science block, we built mm. a boarding house mm. over there. And then when I say we did it, mm. we raised funds to do that. And part of that was every two years we would take over a group of students uh, to go and visit their sponsor kids, yeah. sponsor families. Did you do that? Yes. I had a sponsor, we had some sponsor kids. Yeah. Uh, and I remember they gave me a chicken. Do you remember yes. that? Yes. <laughs> That's as a, crazy. As a thank you. Yeah. They were just incredible moments when they were going yeah. into their homes, yeah. into their villages. And it was just... See that, seeing the way they lived. Yeah. And even just how grateful they were. Yes, the hope and, and the happiness. Yeah. yeah. And to sacrifice that, which would be, you know... A meal, you know, a exactly. big meal for their family. Exactly. I remember yeah. going in, it might have been with your sister, Liv, and yeah. going in to visit a family, your sponsor family, yeah. and they came out with a bowl of bananas because that's all yes. they had to give us. Yeah. And it was just like, and I remember whoever I was with were in tears. Yeah. <laughs> it was very emotional. Yeah. But it was. You in, thought, you'd think, how can someone who has so little give, give, you know, so much yeah. to someone who has everything. But that's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because there was that sense of generosity, yes. that sense of joy mm. about, you know, seeing these people who supported them, being you and your family, yes. yeah. meeting them, and 
the opportunity to get to have an education. Yeah, was priceless for them. Oh, mm. unbelievable. Mm. And they, I'm having shivers now just remembering yeah. those days. Yeah. They're incredible trips. I'll never forget it, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, what sort of impact did it, like, do you feel like it changed you or do you think it just encouraged you to be who you were already? I think, yeah, it definitely encouraged me to be who I am uh, and it, it, it motivated me to, to see how other people live and, yeah. and I guess just to be grateful for what I have. Yeah, right. Um, and, and also be exposed to that because often, you know, we're in such a bubble here, we're, we're so privileged. Yeah. We have everything we need. We're safe. Yeah. And to even just be aware of that and to educate myself yeah. about what is going on in these countries that just have so little and, you know. And it was a massive difference, uh, I mm. guess what you're saying, is a massive difference between hearing about it mm. but actually living in it. Yeah. Being in it. Yeah, I wanted to actually live in it and yeah. experience it. And that was that the mm. same in Nepal? Same type of experience mm. where you, you learnt, it's almost like no one's telling you what you should learn. Yeah. Not, not that type of education, but just through your experience. Yeah, it's definitely just through experiences uh, and exposure. Mm. And then it just, the things that we worry about here mm. seem so trivial compared to yeah. what they have to experience every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Even to just get food on their plate. That's right. Mm. And just the joy and the hope yeah, that they, that they had yeah. with so little was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Mm. So you went over to Nepal, mm -hmm. came back, and you had to come back at some stage. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I think Nepal, being in Nepal, really uh, opened my eyes to what I thought I wanted to do when I came yeah. back, and that was nursing, which right. is what I'm currently doing at the moment. Uh, I just loved being able to uh, yeah, help people right. and yeah, I took a real interest in health and, and just walking down the streets of Kathmandu and seeing uh, uh, many, many homeless people with right. very confronting medical conditions uh, and then looking at the hospital and how the hospital's there and how little they had yeah, right. and just... It was very, it was in your face. Yeah. You, you couldn't avoid it. Yeah. And yeah, that's what inspired me to just go down the path of healthcare yeah, right. and do all I can in my power yeah. to make a difference yeah, you know, to you. people and, and, and help them when they're at their worst. Yeah. Mm. Did you do any nursing overseas or are you thinking about doing nursing overseas? I didn't do, um, I haven't done any nursing yet overseas, but during my degree, I went to India mm. uh, and I went with a organization called uh, GVI, Global Vision International. Right. Uh, so that's an organization where a lot of different people from like, England and parts of Europe come, they choose a place and they um, come to uh, this, the hub of where it is located in yeah. each country. And it's projects that are continuous uh, which are run by locals. Right. So uh, that was great. I thought that was a great uh, organisation to go with, mm -hmm. um, as the, you know the the work is continuous. And I chose to do the healthcare uh, project. Right. So that was working with uh, someone who uh, from England who was an occupational therapist who 
had chosen to live there and lead that project. Right. Uh, so I got to work with her uh, and we uh, worked with uh, kids with special needs and we uh, were able to develop specific programs that met the um, like specific vocational needs of these these yeah, children right, right. Uh, and we would look at their you know their medical history yeah. and their uh, social history yeah. and what their challenges were um, you know whether they were verbal or nonverbal right. so yeah that wow. was another area that really you know, helped me understand healthcare more broadly yeah yeah more broadly I love mm. and that idea just as you were talking, it reminded me, I, I don't know if you had this experience when you went to Uganda, but uh, each time we would try to go to this orphanage. Did you end up going to the orphanage? There was an yes, orphanage in Kampala, orphanage, yes. and all they wanted us to do was to hold children. Yes, yes. Yeah. And just being there, and kids would come up like little puppies. Some You'd be holding yeah, two or three yes, children right. because they didn't have uh, you know, people to hold them. And often they'd go to, I know there was not many men on those trips, but because they didn't have any fatherly contact or mm. any fe- uh, male contact, yes. it was so interesting. Yeah. You, you remember yeah, that I do experience? Remember it. And I remember there were a lot of the babies were malnourished. They were malnourished. And that was yeah. really confronting for school students as well because we we don't see that no. here in Australia. No. That doesn't happen, and that's just every you know. Yeah. Very common there. Very common. Yeah. So just that idea of, you know, when you're talking about a broader understanding, mm. how much of nursing do you think or what you've done from your experience? You know, as I said, I just remember that experience of each time just being asked just to sit there and hold children. Mm-hmm. How much of your experience as a nurse is about just being with people? Oh, it's a huge part. You have to be an empathetic person to be in, in nursing mm. and, yeah, as a, as a patient, you're there and it's often you know, one of the worst times of your life. You're scared. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so just, yeah, just being there to comfort them, talking with them, yeah. actually being an ear, you know, to listen to their concerns yeah. or, or what's going on at home. Or, and, and we have so many other things to do, but yeah, that's of course. vitally important of to course. be able to, to be compassionate yeah. and listen. And yeah. Be there as much as you can. Yeah, and you notice those things too. The 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 patient notices the care. Mm. You know, anyone can do the blood pressure or anyone can give the injection, but there there is a certain extra element of care that certain nurses can give. Mm. And that is, and I'm I'm just guessing. I'm not a nurse, (laughs) but there is something about just being with the person. Yeah, I think the patients remember how kind you are. Yeah. Not what task you did. Yeah. But whether you were there for them. Yeah. You know whether you listen to their concerns yeah. and whether you were able to meet them or sure. even the effort you, you, you took to meet, you know, yeah. the, the specific you know, needs that they, they had, yeah. you know, whether that be um, their spiritual or religious needs or whether they, uh, you know, just needed multiple family members there with them mm. to be able to facilitate that. Yeah, you know, to help so providing them, that support. You know, in their journey. Yeah. yeah. So, since you've been nursing here in Australia, only nursing in Sydney? Only, right? Yeah, only nursing in Sydney. So, yeah. it's my, this is my sixth year as a registered nurse in, in I've only, oh, well, sorry, I've done 
uh, when I finished my degree, I did. I got into a new grad position at St Vincent's Public Hospital, right. uh, where I spent six months in a busy acute surgical ward. And then I've always had a keen interest in critical care because right. I love to be able to, uh, you know, look after patients that deteriorate quite quickly. I find that really challenging and interesting. Right. Uh, yeah. So since after that, I then moved into ICU for six months at St Vincent Public Hospital and then because I loved the critical care environment so much I then went on to do a two-year uh, ICU program at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital oh, right, which is right. where I am now and this is my I started there in May 2019. Right so, wow so. and so that course was it obviously working in the in that ward in the ICU mm. ward but also was there other study that you had to do? Uh, so we had to, yeah, we had to uh, do a lot of like book work stuff, uh, a lot of research when we got home. Uh, it wasn't a post grad, but it's right. just a qualification yep. that we've. It's it's quite well regarded, quite right. well, well known around, right. um, yeah, hospitals within Sydney. Right. Uh, yeah, and we just had to do complete a lot of skills because there's a lot of technical skills within the ICU. We have to be able to independently um, operate life-saving medical equipment. Yeah, right, uh, It's very, very specialised. Of course. Yeah. And being there since 2019, mm. uh, obviously you've had to, things have changed a lot in the, Definitely. In the, <laughs> in the healthcare system. Mm. You would have seen with the, with the rise of COVID. Mm. Uh, how did things change? I guess at the time when it was happening, there was so much unknown mm. and there was a lot of fear among myself and my colleagues. No one wanted to look after someone who had COVID because right. we were, at the time, um, back in, when did it start? 2020, early 2020, 2020 yeah. March. Uh, what you were seeing in the media was just people, you know, dying. And, yeah. and so that was, yeah, very scary. Um, experience to begin with and especially because there was no vaccine at the time yeah. there was nothing yeah. to protect us besides PPE yeah. personal protective equipment yeah uh, so yeah that changed a lot uh, in the way that we did things uh, obviously there were many policy updates policy and procedure updates uh, we had to be able to uh, know how to properly don and doff our personal protective yeah. equipment to yeah. ensure that we were safe sure. and didn't you know infect anyone else yeah. in the hospital uh, our ICU actually transformed into a full COVID unit right uh, where we they then reconstructed some of the rooms so that they were negative pressure uh, to prevent you know infection from spreading yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah there was just it was just hard physical work yeah right uh so i did 12 12 and a half hour shifts so this was you can imagine looking after really critically unwell patients with with covid yeah and being in layers of ppe yeah oh, uh, uh, dehydration yeah. hunger often yeah. things that we experience every day yeah. uh you know in, in inability to to go to the toilet quickly because yeah, you have to so doff everything off yeah. yeah or you have to watch another ventilated patient you know on the side because someone was you know needed to quickly go on a break because yeah. it was getting too hot or overwhelming with the ppe uh, 
every day was was really it was in that extra element yeah. of, of of you know uh, I guess challenge. Yeah, and I guess you yeah, say so it's physically it was obviously physically, physically taxing, demanding, but yeah. I can imagine emotionally extremely stressful as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. I think despite the challenges we faced, it, it's nothing compared to what the patients were experiencing. Right. So we would get patients come in initially just on a bit of oxygen, but with COVID at the time, I think this was with the Delta strain, which was quite aggressive. Yeah. Uh, they would just deteriorate really quickly and rapidly. Their oxygen levels would just plummet. Uh, so they'd be on a little bit of oxygen and then they'd go into high flow and then progress to a ventilator. Mm. And then, and then uh, sometimes they would go into ECMO, which is a heart and lung bypass right. machine. And then it happened very quickly. It happened really quickly, yeah. yeah. And then on top of that, there, there were studies um, where proning was beneficial. So proning is a position that where we put out, where we actually position our patients onto their, their stomachs. And that actually helps to um, helps to recruit more oxygen, right? Uh, because of the the surface area um, is more is expanded, and it, it requires less effort, less to, kind of expiratory effort. Yeah, it uses less muscles. Yeah, uh, and even so, that required about six or seven nurses to be able to actually rotate the patient yeah, right. while they were intubated with the breathing yeah. tube in connected Gosh. to the ventilator onto their yeah onto wow. their stomachs and they would be on their stomachs for about 12 hours wow. we would have to rotate their head every two hours and their arms to prevent any pressure sores wow yeah it was and this was in full layers of ppe yeah and then you get the doctors who were doing sterile procedures in their ppe plus their sterile gowns as well so it was tough yeah tough work incredible but the uh yeah, I think the hardest part emotionally was when you'd have a patient who was on their way to passing away, mm. and no, at the time back in 2020, kind of beginning of you know 2020, 2021, no family members could come in. That's right. So we were communicating with families via iPads. Right. And I'll never forget, uh, yeah, just the moments of of being with the patient's family virtually. And with their loved one, oh. and and just them crying or singing to their their yeah, loved one, yeah. and having to explain everything, you know, going on in the room. And Incredible, and that was mm -hmm. your responsibility. Like if you were looking after a patient, mm -hmm. and you were on that shift, that was your responsibility. That was to do that, that was our responsibilities. Yeah. Wow. So we're the we're the we're the primary ones. There, yeah. we're the bedside nurses. Where where we. Uh, liaise with the multidisciplinary team so we will make referrals mm. to social workers mm. and uh, we're, but yeah we're the ones that you know make contact with the family initially yeah. and then yeah. we'll make referral to the to right. the social workers and right. get them involved for support as well oh, yeah. yeah but it's definitely if, if the patient's about to pass away we know they're going to pass away mm. it's the registered nurse's responsibility to be there wow. with the patient and be talking with the family as yeah. well and supporting them. And it's a bit like what we were saying before when we were talking about the orphanage and being mm. with those kids yeah. and that part of nursing just being. And again, another area, and it's a, it's a different, you know, different type of 
being, isn't it, when someone's at the end of life. Mm. And I've, you know, in my role, I've had to sit with many people who are at the end of life, sometimes the day before they die, sometimes as they've died. Mm. Uh, and what can you say? You know, yeah. you, you've got this, in your role, you've got this sort of diagnosis that you mm. have to deliver, but then after that, it's tough, isn't it? It is, What did yeah. you learn from, like, was that, and that must have been incredibly hard. Yeah, it was hard. Uh, you just have to, to, to reassure the family that their loved one is, is pain-free, yeah. they're comfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've done everything we can to support them, mm. you know, in their journey. Mm. And even memory-making. We do, we do that right. with them and just talking about their life with the family right. really wow. helps as well. Was that a new skill for you and something new that yeah, you had to do? Yeah, it's definitely a new thing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And did you just have to learn that on the spot? or? Yeah, it's very, very much <laughs> You don't learn it at uni, it's very on the job. Well, that's what I was going to say. Was there anything that you learnt in nursing that prepared you for COVID? Um, Nothing. Yeah, right. I mean, you hear about pandemics in history, but... Yeah. Nothing would have prepared me for what wow. it would be like. Yeah. Wow. I mean, still, I guess you're dealing with people in ICU mm. who come in who have got COVID. Yeah. But as you say now, there are vaccines. It's so different now, yeah. Uh, because of the vaccines, there are less, I guess, less numbers that are acutely unwell, critically unwell yeah. with COVID. We still get... You know, we still get patients every week that come in very unwell, but they're often, you know, immunocompromised haematology patients with cancer, yeah. so their immune systems aren't as strong. Or, uh, or some people that haven't been vaccinated, or yeah. just some that are really unlucky. Mm. Uh, yeah, so as, as um, yeah, the vaccinations have come out, restrictions have, have lifted, as we all know. Um, and even with PPE, so now it's not, it's not as intense. We don't have to wear like layers and layers. It's just like the, it's just the one apron, you know, the N95 mask, uh, and gloves. We don't even have to wear a hairnet anymore. We used to right, have to wear wow. a hairnet. Uh, uh, we used to have to wear like uh, a face shield. Sep uh, yeah, a face shield, and then we have to wear um, boot covers, yep, yep. and then we also had to. Um, wear separate scrubs. Right. That was the other thing during COVID. We always had to, if we left the unit, we had to take off those scrubs and put on brand new scrubs. So it was constantly changing throughout the day and then showering if we got exposed right. to aerosol generating procedures. That was another right. thing because often ventilators would accidentally disconnect and you'd get sprayed with, right. you, wow. with you know, the aerosol yeah. and you'd have to stop what you were doing. This was before vaccines yeah. and immediately leave the unit, you doff everything off, leave the unit, thoroughly shower, oh, wash yeah. your hair, and wow. then yeah, hope that you didn't get infected. How often did that happen to you? Oh, it happened, it happened a few times. Right. Uh, yeah. And then that, that also added another layer of stress as well. Yeah, of course, because you're wondering, you know, how did, did I pick that up? And yeah. And then it would also, it happened to everyone, it would, but it would, it would delay everything as well. Mm. It would it would be time consuming yeah. and then it would make everyone else stressed within yeah. the unit as well. How did you deal with that stress during that time? That, like, you know, when the yeah. pandemic, there's no sort of end in sight. Now yeah. we can look back and it's still there, but it's nowhere near as severe. Yeah. How well, did, how did you good, deal with it? The, 
guess the positive side of of it was having a really great team and we were like a family and we had we I guess we bonded in a time of hardship yeah sure which is I think a very common human condition like soldiers going to war yeah so just speaking to my friends after work speaking to my family um going for walks just self-care stuff very important yeah Having gone through that experience, mm. what, uh, what have, not necessarily what have you learnt, but you know, what, what are the sort of the good things that have come from it for you in terms of mm. your whole worldview maybe or mm. you know, maybe in nursing, but also you know, it's, a, it's a huge experience, it's a massive experience. Mm. And, you know, as you're talking, I can hear that, you know, there's something about your strength to be able to get well, through that. That's what I was going to say. Uh, resilience is a yeah. massive thing. Uh, despite, despite it being quite traumatic at times, mm. uh, I feel that I've definitely become more resilient and adaptable to, to changing dynamic environments. Yeah, right. And I think that has equipped me for you know future opportunities future yeah. jobs that where i'm faced with you know yeah. challenges yeah for sure uh, yeah and that unpredictability because mm. of, you know the whole whole world felt the unpredictability mm. of this thing that comes along and everything just changes so quickly yeah and just yeah. the importance of supporting one another yeah you know and, yeah. and and understanding what people are going through yeah for sure you sound like someone who's always liked a challenge though uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> going to Nepal, not knowing, and yeah. doing this, being in ICU, finding out about you know people who are severely ill and mm. dealing with that. Where does that come from? Do you think? I think I just love physical challenges. Right. Yeah, I love talking to people, understanding people. Yeah. Uh, you know, hearing about their challenges mm-hmm. and helping them to you know make changes or yeah, right. or supporting them. Right. Uh, that's just part of your DNA. It's just part of, and I, I definitely, I think being at Skeggs has helped help right. me, um, I guess, form that yeah. way of thinking. Or can you what, what sort of things? Just what people talked about, or yeah, or? and just even mainly just the experiences. So with uh, with Duke of Edinburgh, there's uh, a, a volunteer aspect. So even having those experiences, like working at Wayside Chapel. Yeah. Uh, feeding um, home people, homeless people with you, uh, that was right. also something that I love to do. And then, uh, yeah, the hiking aspect of Duke of Ed. Mm. Yeah, I love, I love pushing and challenging myself. I like excitement. Yeah. Yeah. And are you still thinking, dreaming about challenges now? Or are you thinking, <laughs> no, I need to have a bit of a break? I think after COVID, I... I'm craving a bit of a break yeah. because because during COVID, also with among you know the nursing profession, we weren't able to have an annual leave because they were desperate yeah, right. for staff. Right. So I think there's some burnout there. For sure. Uh, for sure. Twelve-hour shifts mm, and doing it like that for sure. But I definitely yeah, will always want to challenge myself within yeah. my career. Right. Yeah. What would you do if you if you got to have a break? Mm. So, are you planning a break? Uh, I have some leave coming up, which will be nice. Uh, 
but I have no plan to go away. Right. <laughs> Flights are too expensive. They're pretty crazy. So yeah, uh, even just having some time time away from the clinical environment will be yeah. nice. Uh, but yeah, I've thought I, I definitely will always be in healthcare. That's something that I'm really right. passionate about. Fantastic. Uh, I've recently thought about move because I'm I work uh, with life saving equipment. I have very great technical skills yeah. in operating this complex you know, m- machinery. Uh, I have thought about moving down the uh, med tech side of right. things, maybe right. becoming a clinical specialist right. in a specific area, uh, whether that be dialysis machines yeah. or ECMO machines. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that could be an exciting challenge. Yeah, right. Yeah. And what about overseas? Do you still have that passion for... Yeah. S- developing countries or definitely yeah i think well with covid that 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 made me you know think well i can't go overseas now can i yeah right and as you say Uh, it's it's expensive exactly yeah (laughs) and it's often self-funded going overseas but it's definitely something i would still love to do and i'm only early on in my career yeah um i have plenty of opportunity to do that yeah good on you sure in the future i'd love to go back to nepal Right. Definitely. And nurse over there? Or yeah, not, just or have work in the medical yeah, yeah. area? Yeah, definitely nurse over there and just for a small amount of time, maybe a few months. Yeah, right. And see what it's like, see if I can, can uh, you know, bring my skills to that yeah. to the area or my you know, expertise. It would be very different now, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would it's be. Going back there and, mm. and, and you being a different person as well. Not totally different, but you know, <laughs> as you say, with those yeah. different skills. Mm. Yeah, good on you. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Abby. For Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my <laughs> pleasure. It's always lovely to to see yeah, old students <laughs> and hear what they're doing. But your story is, yeah, it's pretty mm. pretty full on, and good on you for getting through it all. I guess <laughs> you didn't have much choice. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's been great. Yeah, good on you. Well, thanks for talking, and if anyone has any questions for me or for Abby about what we've talked about, please let me know. And thank you again for listening. Hope to see you around soon. Take care.